On this week's episode of the Marketing Expedition podcast, we talk with Josh Green, and he's the CEO of The Mather Group, a digital agency that solves marketing challenges for companies of all sizes. With over 20 years of experience creating and implementing digital strategies, Green empowers top brands and individuals to shape their online presence to support their bottom line. He has worked with some of the largest Fortune 1000 companies, five of the largest nonprofits in the U.S., Popular Media Channels, the third largest network provider in the U.S., two of the largest manufacturing companies in the U.S., and many software companies. He is a frequent speaker at conferences and industry events, including the Public Relations Society of America, the AAF, AdTech, SES, PR Summit, and Channel Advisors Catalyst Conference. Before the Mather Group, Green managed online DRTV programs for industry leaders such as Discovery Channel, Time Warner Cable, 1-800-PACRAT, and Zippy Shell. Before we get to the interview, I need to tell you about Strike Tax Advisory. Based in the rising tech mecca of Boise, Idaho, and surrounding states, Strike Tax Advisory is leading the way in an $18 billion-plus tax incentive market. Strike's in-house R&D and employee retention tax experts discover unclaimed government credits available to businesses, bringing awareness to clients that their industry innovation efforts could make them eligible to receive credits and educating those struck hard by COVID that they have the relief available to them. Strike is helping small and large businesses reinvest the assistance back into their businesses to continue growing. Visit peppershock.com offers to learn more today and click on the link to get the offer from Strike Tax Advisory. And now it's time for the Marketing Essentials Moments, the basics that you need to help you build your brand and your bottom line. Today we're gonna talk about Facebook pages and Facebook groups. Facebook pages are the official public-facing Facebook entities, the platform for broadcasting point of view and creating an authentic public presence with pictures and posts, places for businesses to update and give practical information. It's visible to anyone and you can collect audience analytics, add call to actions and helpful apps and services, all of those things that help your business on the public-facing side. Now, a Facebook group can be private or it can be public, right? But it's a place for your customers to bond around how much they love your business and what you serve and what you do, right? It's a place for discussion, learning about the company, rallying around common causes, getting access to exclusive knowledge and more. It can be public, private, or secret, right? And focus on being able to have loyalty and authenticity of the people that are a part of this specific Facebook group. And the benefits of having a Facebook group for your business is it's a direct line to those customers or those potential prospects or members that have like and causes that you are uh, affiliation with, right? In the industry, or if it's a nonprofit or something of those natures that are really something that they're specifically seeking out and being a part of. And it can really increase organic search and optimization based on the types of clients and customers that you want to attract, right? So when you are thinking about a Facebook group, the public group, right? Anyone can search and see your posts. A private group shows up on searches, but only current members can see those posts or if you're accepting those new members that want to be a part of your group. And a secret group can be, can't be seen unless invited and accepted specifically. And so thinking about how you can use these groups for your business best, you can have customer support, you can do learning engagement, you can have feedback, you can give 
insights and inspiration and ideas and information for your audience, right? And you can also create a revenue stream within your Facebook groups, right? When customers are looking for support, you can help them and you can be the hero by hopping in and addressing the problems or the issues or the questions. And you can announce that you have answers to the questions to the rest of the community in the process. Information for all of your ideal prospects, right? Ideal customers that you want to have as part of your group. If your customers are really nice, they may even help each other solve problems. It's a it's a learning and engagement tool. Facebook has groups has a couple of underused features that can really add some serious value to your group, like the social learning, or maybe some watch party applications. Maybe it's a digital course on how to, uh, I don't know, give yourself a manicure maybe, or whatever it is that your group is going to be about. Um, and if you're going to host a live stream or interviews within the group, um, it, it can really help you engage with those specific types of people that are a part of your group. And you can continue to build that group and the content, and it will encourage activity and repeat visits. And you can drive traffic to your website or other efforts that you're doing within your marketing plan and strategy, right? You can also have the feedback forum and use social listening to figure out what really matters to your audience that you've got really a built-in focus group right here in your in your group, right? And you want to know maybe how your customers feel about a new or upcoming feature or product or service, just ask them. And then it's a place to find insights. If you're really wanting to understand the insights from your Facebook page followers, you can go into your group insights and it'll offer even more data to really kind of geek out on and understand your audience and understand the membership and the growth and the engagement and what kinds of things people are engaging in and why and the valuable insights to your fans that are a part of your group. And you can also understand when it's a popular time to post and, uh, you know, how many active members there are and the people who are really advocates of your brand. It's also a place for other fans to connect with each other, those members of those groups, right? Uh, so, you know, sometimes you can bond over new things and new, new people that you're um, associating and connecting with. Your brand really can get out there because of the way you're presenting your brand and, and communicating and engaging, right? And those positive feelings can come from that human interaction and it can really trickle over into feeling of goodwill will and building that education for your brand, right? And building that active community that draws in newcomers. And of course, you can use it as a revenue stream, right? It's it, The group is kind of meant to be like a party, not necessarily a sales pitch, but I'm not saying that you should you know, push promos every day, right? There's an opportunity here to provide value to your loyal followers, and you can make a little extra cash offering some things that you might find valuable to give to your audience, and maybe even offer some free advice or free value that they could then, you know, be a part of and subscribe to offering access to the group as an incentive to make a purchase or, um, you know, provide exclusivity to members only deals or, uh, you know, maybe it's the first to know if you, you're announcing something new and your group is the first to know. Uh, this is really a great place to share any of those last minute offers or maybe some flash sales. The key is to making sure that the opportunity is as valuable to your fans as it is to you. And then also some best practices when thinking about your Facebook group, right? Creating a clear code of conduct when people sign up to become a member of the group, posting regular welcome messages, engaging consistently but not overwhelming people, scheduling posts for peak times, keeping the content on your page and group unique to them, keeping out the bots and trolls with those questionnaires when they come to, to join the group, and of course, editing your membership list as needed. It's 
best practices that can help you succeed in your group. And then, of course, give them something to talk about and give them something special. All right, so those hopefully are some things that you can do to help in your marketing efforts. And now it's time to get to the interview with Josh Green. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Peppershock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition community. And today's guest is Josh Green, the CEO of Mather Group. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, Ray. Josh, let's tell a little bit more about you and your background and kind of what got you from here to there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, it's funny that that the Mather Group is mostly an online reputation company these days because I um, spent a lot of my career in e-commerce at places like the Discovery Channel Store, Time Warner Cable, and 1-800-PACK-RAT. Um, so when we started the company, we certainly thought we would be doing a lot of, of e-commerce work. And over the last five or six years, it's definitely uh, changed in response to what the market is is looking for. And so when did you start the Mather Group or kind of tell me the evolution of the Mather Group? Yeah, um, we started it about six years ago um, when there were a number of people I knew who needed help um, in dealing with their online presence on Google, Wikipedia, other places. So um, I left Zippy Shell where I was working, launched the Mather Group, and over the last six years, we've uh, we've grown nicely. Um, so it, it was a bit of a transition from corporate America to consulting, and um, here we are now, six years later. That's awesome. You know, I often don't even remember that Wikipedia is a source that you can use. Tell us a little bit more about how people and businesses can use Wikipedia as a as a tool for them. Yeah, one of the, the really interesting things about Wikipedia is, is people tend to view it as an objective third-party source about just about anything. If you think about how you'll do a search, oftentimes you'll look at a company to see what they do and then go to Wikipedia to try and get the version without maybe all the marketing language and, and see how it really works. Um, what companies often neglect is there's a whole editing community around Wikipedia. So if you don't pay attention to it, um, the loudest voices can be the ones that are on your page. And oftentimes the loudest voices tend to be people uh, with a very specific point of view, good or bad. Um, so it's, it's worth paying attention to because people treat what's on Wikipedia as bedrock truth, even though that's not necessarily always the case. Um, the other thing that, that oftentimes companies don't realize is there are a lot of Wikipedia pages devoted to um, particular categories, for example, business process automation. Um, and you, if you're in that space, you can contribute some of your, your thought leadership to that, um, which has a number of benefits to, to sort of helping build those resources within Wikipedia. So. Um, that there's um, some often overlooked opportunities there for, for businesses um, when they're thinking about Wikipedia. 
Yeah, no, you're right. I think I'll have to go check that out now that you mention it and brought it up. I think it's a wonderful tool to investigate and see how you can use to your advantage. Tell me some more kind of tools or resources or or places that you like to, you know, help companies build and grow online. One of our big focuses is how they're showing up in Google because that's the gateway for many, many people um, to, to sort of see where a company is uh, starting out is just you look at their company name. And for a lot of companies, that's what SEO or search engine optimization is. When I search on your company, do I get a, a good feeling, a bad feeling? What are the search results that are coming up? If I'm seeing, you know, seven Better Business Bureau sites on the first page versus a bunch of testimonials, that's going to be a very different experience. A lot of what we do is is education with our clients, and there, there are three main tools um, that, that we use and recommend uh, for them when they're thinking about that. Um, those are uh, Moz. Uh, Moz.com has a ton of great resources for SEO. They do a lot of thought leadership and research. SEMrush, um, which we really love for looking at pay-per-click. It'll show you all the ads competitors are running. It'll also show you the value of the organic search traffic that you're getting, which is very helpful from um, a budget standpoint. And then Google Search Console um, can be really helpful just to understand officially from Google what's getting traffic, what's not getting traffic. Um, and also, obviously, if Google has something to tell you, um, that can be really important too. And I would probably add a fourth one is just making sure that Google My Business is up to date. Um, it just plays such a huge role in driving traffic at the moment that um, businesses, especially businesses with a physical location, um, should really take a look at that. Yeah, it seems like it's a growing tool to use. And, and Google, since it's the number one search engine, you know, in in the world, right? You would think that you would want to use Google My Business and all of those tools more. Oftentimes, they're overlooked, right? Yeah, and especially for smaller businesses, there's a lot you can do. Both collecting reviews, you can you can sort of do posts, even if you're not super. Uh, technically savvy, it's it's easy enough to do, um, and many more people oftentimes are going to see that Google My Business information than would actually come to your website because Google populates it everywhere on on phones, on voice search. Um, so it's it's oftentimes an advantage if you can spend a little time customizing um, that to reflect the image that you want for your business. Let's talk a little bit more about voice search because it is ever growing and evolving and something that people really do need to pay attention to. How have you helped uh, your your clients with voice search these days? What we've seen is it, it tends to be early days in voice search in that if people are searching, it tends to be very basic searches at this point. When is a business open or, or what is the phone number? Um, pieces like that. So making sure your information is is updated everywhere um, is really important. So Google My Business, as well as your website, as well as, you know, if you're on DoorDash or you have a Foursquare profile, you want to make sure that all of that information, um, name, address, and phone is, is as up-to-date everywhere you can make it so that when people are looking for information, then you can 
be assured that whatever that technology is, is going to find accurate information, especially if you've changed addresses or anything anytime recently, that can be really important um, to hunt down. There, there are tools like Yext and things like that, that, that uh, we often see consumers using uh, or companies using. The other thing that, that tends to be worth knowing is that it's even more of a winner take all situation than normal search on, on desktop search. You've got maybe 10 results, 15 results on page one versus if you are um, doing a voice search, you're only going to get one answer unless you deliberately ask for like the top three locksmiths in the area, which we haven't seen very many people do. So what we've advised clients and what they've seen results on is making sure they're owning whatever their niche might be. So you're probably not going to own the keyword locksmith on a desktop search. You're probably not going to own it in voice search, but you might own local locksmith in Vienna, Virginia or Boise, Idaho, or if you can even niche down further, if, if you can do, um, you know, locksmith for schools in Boise, Idaho, then you've got a really good shot at owning that. They're gonna be fewer searches than just locksmith, but that's one that you can win on. If I search on just locksmith in general, I'm probably going to get a bunch of big national sites that I'm not gonna be able to outrank. Um, so there's there's a lot to be said, um, as I'm sure you, you tell your clients as well, and making sure you have a very clear identity um, because it, it tends to uh, pay off in search as well. Right. And, you know, if there was a word I, I haven't heard in a long time when you mentioned Foursquare, I thought, yeah. Foursquare? I was like mayor of something once. But you're kind of referring, it's 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 evolved, right? Tell, yeah, tell us yeah. what you meant by Foursquare. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And it's a good point. I really haven't used it in a while either. But, but anything that's going to have specific business information um, out there is something you should check and make sure it's updating. The e easy way we tell our clients is do a search, you know, if any of the top 20 results um, for your business are incorrect, see what you can do to fix them. Um, and by the time you get to 15, you're probably at Foursquare and some other tools you haven't used in, <laughs> in, a, in a little time. while. Yeah. Um, unless you're, you know, I, I'm not even sure, perhaps it's, it's still going, but not, uh, <laughs> nowhere near the, the pop culture equivalent. Um, you know, we also see it with Groupons because people have oftentimes done that and then forgotten about it for years. Maybe it didn't work, but your information is, is still up there. Um, so everyone remembers to update their website and try and update Google if something's changed. Um, but especially over the last two years, there's no telling what else is out there. So sometimes you just need to sort of do a self audit of how you show up online and see what you need to fix. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, when we moved locations, I mean, it's been five years since, but there's still things that will occasionally pop up that we tried to, you know, update the address and, you know, like, where did that come from? Or, you know, somebody went to our old address because it's on some map somewhere and we've done all that we thought we could to update everything. And you're right, you have to Google yourself or Google your company name and, and set that up so that you can make sure that, you know, hey, people go to the right place, right? Right. And there's there's oftentimes that the challenge can be it's it's not quite dead websites, but the level of customer service doesn't exist. Like if that company isn't around as much, right? There, mm -hmm. There's not 
as many people using MapQuest and, you know, you're going to someday run into the one person who somehow used MapQuest to find <laughs> their way to, you know, across town to where you used to be. Um, but hopefully, you know, you, you fix the easy ones and then it eventually makes its way around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I'm interested in you marketing yourself since we are on a marketing expedition. And since you are a marketing expert online, I'm interested in how you use your own advice and tools to promote the Mather group. Yeah. A lot of what we do that, that helps with our marketing is, is educational. Um, especially since the two areas we work most frequently in SEO and Wikipedia tend to be a little bit technical and wonky Wikipedia, mm -hmm. especially, but SEO is oftentimes confusing in terms of how things are showing up the way they are. So, um, we do regular webinars. We do a regular newsletter. Um, we do a regular ask me anything call that allows um, both people we know and people who may get sort of referred in to learn a little bit about the different areas that we're working in, which A, keeps us visible and hopefully top of mind when they need help. Um, and B, also helps them on some level to be a more educated customer down the road in terms of knowing what kind of things they might need help with. Mm -hmm. um, so we do a lot of that. We do a decent amount of promotion of that content on LinkedIn, um, as well as uh, sort of the usual retargeting that, that everyone does. Um, but a lot of it is, is building relationships because both SEO and Wikipedia tend to be a large part of your online identity. And before um, you pick a partner for something like that, you want to be pretty comfortable with, with, um, the organization that you'll be working with. So if you had an unlimited marketing budget and you could pick anything to help market your own company, what would you spend your money on? I would probably, which is a great question. I would probably go with physical media actually and mail out a giant care package of everything um, you need to know and probably a, a big binder full of a lot of the information we put together um, so that people would have it both as a reference and when they needed help could reach out to us. Nice. Um, I think would be a starting point um, and then obviously you'd have to do something to make people aware of you. So then we can just put a ton of money into putting our content out in LinkedIn in front of the people <laughs> who need to know about us. Right. Yeah. And make sure that it gets seen by those that you want to have see it. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I think that what's old is new, right? I mean, everyone moved to digital and online, but there are still, you know, some tactics you can take to, to kind of get that traditional method and getting, you know, physical, tangible items in front of people that will lead them to online, right? I mean, you mentioned care package and immediately I thought of something that was sent to me recently. It was like an old vinyl record but it was an mm -hmm. advertisement for a printing company, right? Oh, and and, it, yeah. and they had an actual vinyl record and it had like this really cool uh, label, but it was an, an advertisement for them to print and it was just, and then you could play the record. And I thought, oh, how well. clever is that, right? What old, what's old is new, you know? And, yeah. 
and it was very colorful and you know it just it was just a kind of a, a throwback if you will and it was it was just an interesting fun different way to go about it and I couldn't bring myself to throw it away I mean they spent right. so much yeah. time and energy and money and getting it shipped out to me and and so it was just like well now I it's still on the shelf and I look at it and I see it and it's memorable right <laughs> I was like wow yeah, they really it, went to the effort to to get in front of me you know <laughs> yeah sometimes there's there's a lot to be said for going the extra mile right that's mm-hmm. that's not a postcard but at the same time when you're you know in a world where you can be spending you know ten dollars a click it's not hard to sort of get to a point where you can you know find alternate sources and that's one of the things uh, we're seeing for especially small and medium-sized businesses on um, places they might advertise like Facebook or Google is once you've taken down the barriers to entry for just about anyone, it gets considerably more expensive. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's lots of different strategies and tactics we could take, but what's going to be effective and what's going to break through and get to the person and, you know, resonate with them and disrupt their their patterns of what they normally do so that they can actually pay attention to you, right? That's like the yes. name of the game. <laughs> okay, so let's see. What are some people that have kind of maybe inspired you or motivated you along the way in your, your entrepreneurial and marketing journey, Josh? Well, Rand Fishkin, the founder of Moz, I thought um, it played a big role in terms of um, just his transparency, both in building the company and some of the experiences in terms of management and dealing with how um, it ultimately grew and changed and his his ultimate exit. So um, that um, he's one of them. Um, ben Horowitz, who wrote the the book, um, What You Do Is Who You Are, um, was a really good one about leadership and making sure um, that you're sort of consistent with your values as a company. That's been um, very helpful. And then uh, uh, David Fields wrote a book on consulting companies and, and uh, sort of how you build your business that I thought was really useful and I've worked with him over the years um, on a lot of structural things that have been really helpful. What is what are some of the biggest surprises that have happened in your business and why? I would say um, well first is just as the business grows you have to be cognizant of how much time you're spending on the important elements of the business and then Um, a lot of the tangential things like you can spend a lot of time working on the perfect task management system or working on, uh, um, you know, getting your accounting set up exactly right. But those are are not really the main thing you're in business to be doing. So I would say that's, that's one key thing. And then the second thing is sort of being cognizant of the consultant or agency pendulum where there's this constant balance of needing to uh, generating uh, work and then doing the work, and that mm-hmm. that um, you know can be can be tricky, especially when you're starting out. As you as you grow a little bit, you have some more resources, but especially if you're starting out and are solo, um, there's sort of that split personality a lot of times, and that's I think one that that. Um, 
um, challenges a lot of people who are thinking about going out on their own because I've, I've had the discussion with quite a few people of, yes, you like doing X, but do you like selling X as the key thing, right? You may, you may be the world's greatest widget maker and you may really like making those widgets, but unless you're starting out as like a, a captive business, um, you got to sell the widgets to somebody. And how do you feel about that part of things? Um, and, and I think that oftentimes is one of the biggest surprises to, to starting your own business is you don't just get to do the thing you like, you have to find the people to, to pay you to do it, um, which is not always people's favorite thing. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hey, we all have to sell every day, no matter what yeah. role we play, right? Even even my bookkeeper and, <laughs> and even, right? you know, people, even graphic designers who probably would love nothing more than just to design. And But you got to sell it. You got to sell your ideas and your concepts and, you know, be able to yeah. express what you what you are wanting other people to buy from you. Right. I agree. Yeah. with that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What's one thing that you wish you would have known before you started the Mather Group? Um, one thing that I wish I would have known, I would say I probably let it go too long trying to do everything myself. There are many good resources out there for a variety of things you'll need help with, ranging from accounting to HR to um, what you would think of as the core business itself. And I think there's a tendency to just wait too long to hire, especially when you're adding the first person and are sort of concerned about paying um, someone else on a regular basis. Um, so I think bringing in um, outside help sooner would be one of those things that I probably would have uh, benefited from, um, but it also seems to be one of those things everybody learns at their own pace that lesson mm -hmm. and has their own comfort level with that. Um, but that's that's definitely one when you're when you're starting up to think about. I can agree with that 100%. <laughs> yep, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg. Do I hire so that we can afford more work to do or do we hire, you know, that I, and I can't afford it right away, but we, we know we have the work and it is that kind of constant battle of trying to, you know, figure that out, that pendulum that you mentioned, right? It's yeah. finding that and striking that balance. If you could hire again tomorrow, who what, what role would you hire? Um, if I was just starting out, I would have hired a... I guess I would have hired um, a subject matter expert first and probably an operations person about five people earlier than we actually <laughs> did. Um, just you, you tend to think of, you know, it, it's probably the same way that, that people think about marketing, like, oh, I know marketing. I watch I watch TV. I understand ads and operations can be a little bit like that as well. So um, making sure everything and gets where it needs to go is is often underrated as a uh, as a skill set. Yeah, I can agree with that too. <laughs> okay, so what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career in what you do with SEO and Wikipedia online, you know, all, all the things that you do? What would you tell them if they wanted to pursue this career? What would they need to know? One of the key things is just a, a curiosity and an interest in, in learning. There are, you know, a bunch of courses and certifications, you know, Google's made a huge effort to, to offer a lot of different things. And oftentimes the question is, is it something you experiment with 
or are curious about on your own, you can get a certificate in SEO. Um, but do you have a website that you're tinkering around with? It's easy enough to sort of get started and just doing something. And that that's one of the things um, we look for when we're hiring and just in general, um, if people are trying something out themselves, that's usually a good sign because a lot of what you do with, with clients is sort of try different things out, see, see what's working and sort of iterate from there. And you sort of have to have that curiosity if you, you know, are just in, I want to do these three things in this row that generally isn't how agency life tends to, to work. Um, you know, there, there's a lot that, that sort of goes down different paths as you're going along. As we turn to the new year coming ahead, uh, for those of you listening, we're you know recording this in November of 2021. We've kind of gone through pandemic time. We're maybe hopefully approaching a different time in, in that kind of arena, if you will. What are some marketing trends that you're gonna see that you could maybe predict for us or forecast that you're gonna see in the coming year? You know, I think one of the things that that we'll see more of is something that we talked about earlier, where people going a, a different direction in terms of the marketing. Um, it's been interesting that a lot of the direct to consumer companies like Warby Parker are, are now opening a lot of physical stores because the economics actually makes sense for them to open brick and mortar because some of the online options have gotten that expensive for them. Um, and, and I think you'll you'll see more of that um, because there's less that's if you can do those things that aren't quite as scalable, it gives you a little bit of an advantage. If you open a physical store, that's a lot harder to replicate than running a million dollars of ads on Google. If you print a vinyl record and send it, that's going to be a lot harder than just spending $500 on clicks online and it'll stand out. You're not printing out and framing a web ad. Um, same thing with direct mail. It takes some overhead to get started a lot less than it used to. But if you do that, it's not as easily copyable. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of businesses that are in something of a commodity space where online is, is very challenging. So they need to look at how they can sort of extend that and, and um, find some different channels that, that aren't being as heavily used. Mm -hmm. um, the one other thing that we've seen is when the big platforms roll out something new, it's often really cost effective because they give it an advantage. Mm -hmm. Like LinkedIn Live came out, um, you know, Twitter keeps coming out with new things. They tend to be way less expensive because Twitter or Google is concerned about TikTok or something else. So that's one thing we also, uh, you know, sort of encourage our clients is, is sort of if there's something new on a platform that you're using, you probably want to jump on it early because it's going to be priced in a way where it makes sense for you. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yep, lots of things to consider. And you're right. I mean, when Facebook Live first came out, I was doing them all the time because you actually got people to look at you and there was some traction. And yeah, uh, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so let's see. One more, no, two more questions for you. One, um, what are some of your favorite accomplishments without sounding too braggy, but like, what are some things that you're super proud of that you've been able to accomplish? I would say the thing that that's been 
you know, really a source of pride is really building a, a company culture that people are happy to work at, can do good work and, and sort of allows um, for that curiosity to try new things and see um, what's going to benefit um, the, the people and organizations that we're working with. That was um, a goal of mine when I started the business to have a, a very encouraging, supportive environment. And we seem to uh, have done uh, pretty well with that. And speaking of the company, I was just curious, what what's behind the name The Mather Group? Um, so I had done some freelance work after college and rather than Josh Green Productions, uh, we named it after the street we lived on, which was Mather Street. So we were at 5 Mather Street and the Mather Group seemed good. And if we needed to, we could always say we needed to check with Mr. Mather um, <laughs> about about any big decisions. And then uh, 20 years later, uh, it came in handy when we were trying to figure out a company name. <laughs> nice, I love it. I love how names uh, get created and, and it comes to be. <laughs> so Josh, if people wanted to get a hold of you or, or you know, be educated by you in some way, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, we're at uh, thematthergroupllc.com. Um, we're also findable on, on all the socials, but we've got a contact form. And if anyone wants to get more information, just drop us a note. We're always happy to chat. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for your time today and sharing your wisdom and nuggets for everyone to, to glean from in what you had to offer us today. Thank you. And Ray, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And for those of you listening, the best thing that you could ever do for any of us is to give us a review, a share, a download, a subscription, all of those things that we all love. And uh, until next time, everyone, enjoy your journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.